0: Good morning and welcome to worship. It's good to be with you. Before we get into our service, you can look at the back of your bulletin for all of the ongoing events and ministries that we have at our church. If you're interested, you can always jump into one of these and we would love to have you. Um, The youth are meeting tonight at 7 p.m. in the Family Life Building and the Holman Shepherding Group is hosting that. And then you'll find announcements about our kids' choirs, about Life Night, and women's uh, Bible studies. So if you are part of those or would like to be, the information is on the back for you. Uh, Jesus Christ invites us to worship this morning. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do that. Let's take a few moments uh, to quiet our hearts and our minds and ask God to help, him help us to worship Him this morning. Well, let's do that now. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 96. Would you please stand as we hear God's call to us to worship him? Psalm 96, starting at verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's rejoice and worship God together with hymn number 309, Rejoice, the Lord is King, hymn 309. Let's worship together. Holy Spirit, we are thankful to be in this court of worship this morning. We, pray you and we ask that you would give us the strength to worship you, the ability to worship you. God, all things are from you. You have called us to worship you this morning with our hymns, with your word, with our prayers. And so, God, all that we do this morning is for your glory Would you enlarge our hearts? Would you widen our hearts to receive your word this morning? God, would you be praised in all that we do? Holy Spirit, would you help us to do all these things? And would you lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find the confession of faith. And we are moving through the Heidelberg Catechism as a way to remember, to relearn, and to confess the things that we believe God teaches us about himself. And the world and ourselves through his word. At the end of the Heidelberg Catechism, we are reviewing and learning and confessing what the Lord's Prayer means. And we're finding uh, questions 124 and 125 here this morning as we are about to uh, get to the end of the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'll read the question, and if you would respond with the bold print, that would be uh, beneficial. What is the third petition? thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey thy will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread that is provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that thou art the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also thy gifts cannot do us any good without thy blessing grant therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in thee you may be seated The confession gives us uh, good words uh, to be able to reflect on the prayer that we pray most mornings here in this church. And I invite you, as we go into a time of silent prayer, to ask God for those things that we have just confessed. That God would help us to place our trust in Him rather than in the things of this world. That we would ask God for the things that we need that we would pray that his will would be done, and all those things. Uh, Whatever might come to mind, whatever comes to your heart, I invite you to take this time to pray. Um, For some of us, it's uh, a moment of quiet in a week full of noise, and God is giving us this time as a gift to be with him in prayer. After a short time, I'll lead us in a corporate prayer, but let's go to God and pray together now. Heavenly Father, you reign over all the earth, and you will judge all peoples in righteousness and faithfulness. Jesus, you were made to be sin, though you knew no sin, so that in you we might become the righteousness of God. Holy Spirit, you're carrying out this ministry across all times and across all the world to all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. And as you have said, God, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so we pray, help us to hear you, Lord. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive you. Dear God, help us to put no obstacle in anyone's way to you. Give each of your people endurance, patience, knowledge, kindness, genuine love, truthful speech. And give each of your people the Holy Spirit in full measure. We pray that you would give us your power, God, not to lord over others, but to serve others and to lead people to the joy, contentment, peace, and liberty that only a relationship with you provides. We pray you would widen our heart, Lord Jesus, for our neighbors, for the foreigner, for the social outcast, for the poor, for the world. For our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, as your church here locally is at work in many different places and contexts, we pray especially that you would bless the work of Betsy Eichelman and her team in Juarez, Mexico this week, that you would protect them physically, emotionally, and spiritually as they give of their resources and abilities and time. We thank you for equipping and sending Sam Suttle Jr. We pray you would widen his heart so that all who come into his path this week would see the welcome of your son Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. Lord, we pray, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And as another election season is upon us, God, we pray you would give wisdom and knowledge to the rulers that you sovereignly set up across this country, no matter the political party they're affiliated with. Whether governors or state representatives, senators or presidents, all earthly rulers will come and go. We will succeed and fail, but you, Lord, will never change, and your kingdom is eternal. We thank you for that blessing and promise. Would you bless our country with wise and compassionate leaders and bless this nation to be a blessing to others? Would you guard our hearts and our mouths this week as we process the results? And God be with us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the words and meditations of Pastor Ryber's heart this morning. Would you make us to see the heart of Jesus and his love for sinners this morning through his word preached? Would you be with us as we move throughout this worship service? Would you bless us with your presence? God, we thank you for this time of prayer, and we praise you for this uh, moment of worship this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, would you please use our tithes and offerings this morning to bless your church, to grow your kingdom, and to spread the gospel to those who need to hear it. Lord, you're doing a great work, and you use our small contributions to do great things. So we thank you for this time to give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stay standing, we'll continue worshiping before we go into our morning message, and we'll sing hymn number 87, which is the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. Hymn 87, let's continue worshiping together. You may be seated. I'd like to quickly introduce our um, guest preacher this morning, Pastor Scott Reiber, has been Ministering in Mississippi for over 22 years. Uh, He recently retired last December, um, and he has been uh, one of the uh, guiding voices in our presbytery for sure. Um, We're thankful to have him here. He preached with us a few weeks ago and is now back with us again. So please um, be sure to um, welcome him and and say hi after the service is over. Thank you,
1: sir, very much. Well, it's my privilege to be uh, back with you again, and I really do count it a uh, privilege to be able to preach God's word. Um, if it wasn't for Bebo Elkin having me uh, preach in different places from Baton Rouge to Louisville. Uh, I don't know what I would be uh, I don't know what I'd be, what I'd be doing. So I'm very thankful for the privilege to be back with you uh, again. And I know as we're praying for our country and the elections, I thought it was amazingly uh, in God's good providence that you're uh, reading about the third petition in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for ourselves and for all men that they would bow the knee to Christ, who is King and Lord. And that goes for not only when we're within these four walls, But when we walk into our homes, when we are there at the workplace, and when we walk into the voting booth, and when men put their hands on the Bible and lift their right hand before the Most High God and take oaths of office, and we pray the Lord would give us uh, godly and uh, obedient uh, rulers. Well, if you would uh, take up your copy of God's Word and uh, turn with me to... Uh, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, and let's give uh, careful heed to God's holy word, John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and uh, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. The Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, before us is a very, very familiar and amazing account of our Lord raising Lazarus from the dead. Glad to see we have all these young people and uh, younger young people, children here and everything, because if I said to you, have you ever heard the Bible story about Jesus raising, from the de- uh, raising Lazarus from the dead? I, I see that everybody's shaking their head. Yes, of course, we've all heard that, that account. He's been in the tomb how many days? Four days, and Jesus raises him from the dead. And of course, every adult is here, uh, who is here, has been to a funeral. And at the graveside, you've heard those uh, wonderful, sovereign, uh, powerful words of the, of the Son of God uh, say, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And those words of Jesus, that great I am, and that stupendous miracle that make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, they deserve the same attention and the same reverence and awe today as they did the day that Christ spoke it when he was here below Now, the truths and lessons of this chapter are so full of the glory of God and so so great and rich with support for us that uh, we could preach probably a whole series of sermons upon this, but we only have time this morning for just one. So, what is the history of our Lord leading up to this? Whenever you study some portion of Scripture, you want to know the context, and so here uh, one of the things I love about John, and I hope that one of, that you'll be inspired not only to read it if you haven't read all of it, but that's a great thing for doing home Bible studies with. And uh, folks who maybe will not cross the threshold of the, the back door of the church will cross the threshold into your home and you gather around a few meals or some homemade ice cream or something and have a Bible study on John. Well, here, uh, John has been, tells us, gives us these, these great statements of Jesus accompanied with these tremendous miracles. And in John 5, he's Lord of the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, he heals a man who had an affliction 38 years, declaring, my Father's been working until now, and I have been working. Everyone should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Uh, Christ feeds um, uh, the 5,000, you know, men plus whatever it was, women and children. With Okay, all the young folks there, what did he use to feed the 5,000? 5,000 loaves, and two fishes. That's right. Very good. Very good. So uh, Christ says, I am the bread of, of life. Uh, in John 8, uh, he forgives the woman in darkness of adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Uh, go and sin no more. And he declares, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will wa- not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Uh, Christ proclaims the word of truth and that if one hears and believes his word, they will be set free. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, the light of the world then gives light to the man who was born blind. And coming to him after he's been excommunicated, thrown out by the Jewish authorities, there is one of those wonderful places where he reveals himself. Do you believe in the Son of God? Well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Because before he was blind. He says, Well, I who am speaking to you am he. And he believes. In John 10, I am the good shepherd. He gives us life for the sheep. And, and the Jews gather about him in John 10:24, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And ironically, with that context, it will be this great Miracle, raising Lazarus, which brings on the decision that this Jesus must die. And it leads to his crucifixion and, of course, his own glorious resurrection. Well, oh, what's the time of this miracle? The last time reference that we have here is the Feast of Dedication, which would have been December, and if we got our dates right, that would have been about 29 A.D., and that would place the raising of Lazarus on, uh, in January or February of 30 A.D. What's the place? Well, Lazarus lived with his sisters in Bethany. That's about two miles from Jerusalem. Now, with that context, and here we are, and the message from Bethany, I want us to, first of all, focus our minds upon this particular matter. Genuine believers, beloved of Jesus Christ, may be sick and suffer even to death. Now, other than being the brother of Mary and Martha, the only thing we know about Lazarus is that Jesus loved him. To separate him from any other Lazarus might have lived around there, he's Lazarus of Bethany. His very name is an abbreviation of Eleazar, meaning he whom God helped. Now, put all that together. He whom Jesus loved, whose very name is he whom God helped, is sick. He's sick. Now, that doesn't fit with what a lot of folks think, probably folks that you rub shoulders with and know here in Louisville. You know, the whole name it and claim it, I call it name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, you know. Uh, Yeah, that's meant to be funny. God wants you to have your best life right now. And the guy who preaches that sells millions and rides around in jet planes, you know. All of those popular fads declare that. But as you see right here in God's word, that's not true. That's false. Look more closely. What right thing did Mary and Martha do regarding their brother's sickness? What right thing did Mary and Martha do with regard to the mother's their uh, brother's sickness? Uh, Verse 2 and 3, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. Now, no doubt they did everything they could medically for Lazarus, but they didn't forget the one who makes the medicines, all those secondary means, to work. Now, I bet you if we went around here uh, probably... 90%, maybe all of you could quote uh, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, We sing those old gospel choruses like, uh, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in Prayer. Yes, I knew you knew that. But there are always things that get in the way that kind of scramble. You know, we should never be discouraged. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We're probably more like you think about Moses and the Amalekites. And what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to hold his hands up. And as long as he holds his arms up, the Israelites prevail. And what happens? His arms get heavier and heavier, and he has to be helped on each side. We, our, our prayers are often like that. We, we feel weak so that we cannot even lift these requests and these needs before God. And there are all kinds of situations that get in the way of our taking it to the Lord in prayer. You know, for In this case, for example, you know, Lazarus, may you know, his case may have looked hopeless. So, hey, there's no need to to bother Christ. Uh, perhaps Christ had better things to do. He's doing more good where he was. Uh, Christ is too far off to come, and by the time that he gets here, he either, there wouldn't be anything that could be done about the situation, or Christ would be endangered if he came. There are, you can multiply a thousand things in your situation or in the situation of folks in your family that you know, but the right way... For us as believers to face any trial, whether it's physical trials, spiritual trials, is when you see the need to call upon Christ. Don't let anything stand in your way. In their requests, they don't look for anything for themselves. They don't, you know, um, sort of, you know, well, he's our brother, you know. We ought to have an inside scoop here. No, the the child of God renounces all and says, "This this is he whom you love. This is your free love and grace. And so they pray, their petition is on the basis of the character, the attribute of the loving kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. And that's a way you can intercede for members of your family, for your friends, for those in need, for yourself, Christ, it, it, it's written in the scriptures that, you, that God the Father has set his love upon his people. He has demonstrated that. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And shall you not, O our Heavenly Father who loved us even in the midst of our sin, and O Son of God who gave yourself for us, and the Blessed Spirit who overcame my stubbornness and iniquity and brought me into union with Christ, shall you not hear me? And if you hear me, we know that we have what we ask. And look to Christ. There are other arguments that can be used. Remember Abraham, uh, he's got his um, nephew, Lot, who's in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and judgment is coming. And he prays upon the righteous, uh, on the basis of God's righteousness, God's justice. Shall not the God of all the earth do right? You know, suppose there's only, you know, what was it? He starts counting down the numbers. There's only 30, there's only 20, there's only 10. Well, see, he's looking to that attribute of God. So so you see this. The path of peace for the Christian Is to carry this situation to Christ and trust him for his wisdom and love. So what did they do right? They took it to the Lord in prayer. But then notice Christ knows the best time, the best time to do what needs to be done for his people. Christ knows the best time to do what needs to be done for his people. One of the uh, famous, uh, I guess, fathers of the Middle Ages, Anselm, said, God does not delay to hear our prayers because he has no mind to give, but that by enlarging our desires, he may give us the more largely. And isn't that true here in this situation? In verses 4 through 6, I hope you kept your Bibles open. You know, Jesus says, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Are you there in John 11, 4 through 6? you keep When I watch what it says there, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, the Lord acted immediately by preventing the illness from progressing any further. You say I just heard you read that, even if I'm not looking to at it, and that ain't what it says, right? <laughs> the Lord immediately spoke the word as He did concerning the centurion servant, and Lazarus was healed from that very hour. Matthew eight doesn't say that either, does it? So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. What? Jesus, you should have already been here. Now, I want you to think about a couple of things with this regard here. The Lord Jesus, not doing these things on their timetable, right, does not indicate a lack of love or a lack of protective care for Lazarus and his sisters. Christ loves his own. This love of of Christ for his own is consistent with what may seem to us to be harsh dealing. That's some hard medicine, isn't it? Christ may delay to help them, meaning in some circumstances this could be suffering, could be death. Christ knows the best time to do what needs to be done for his people, the best time for his glory to shine, the best time to make his mercy all the more conspicuous, the best time for us. But think as well, this was not, don't anybody ever tell you it was, this was not a matter of a lack of faith on the part of Mary Martha or Lazarus. As a matter of fact, the sisters are specifically commended for their godliness and their faithfulness, and they faithfully send uh, the news to Christ, but he delayed. You know, and, and the reason why I bring this up is that, you know, it's been many, many years ago, and there's uh, a relative of my uh, wife, and uh, he had, you know, he's one of those guys from back in World War II, and They smoked a lot of cigarettes, you know, and so he had one lung that was already been taken out, and he had a spot on the other one, and lo and behold, it had grown, and he was in the hospital. And he had a, uh, I think it was a daughter, maybe a granddaughter, and she was part of this, you know, if you have faith, then your best life now, it's going to be gone. So she comes in here to Daddy and says, now, you know, I have the prayer of faith here, and you need to pull these IVs out of your arm, and let's put on your clothes and walk out of this hospital, because if you believe, you'll be healed. Is there an absolute promise in the Bible of that from Christ for each of us in every circumstance? No, there's not. But the reason why I bring this up is because of this. The consternation of the man's heart and conscience was this. If I don't have enough faith to be healed of the lesser thing, physical life, do I have enough faith in Christ for the greater gift, eternal life? I'm still sick. I must be lost. No, 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 my friend. No. No. We do have absolute promises. You trust in Christ? He who believes in him, he sent me. He's passed from death to life, shall not come to judgment. Everybody here knows, John 3, 16. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Justified. Just got done with Reformation Day. If anything should have been preached and remembered, it is justification that I am pardoned and I stand righteous before God, not on the basis of God and I do a, 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 a saving work together, because then I would always be doubting on my part, but that Christ is perfectly righteous. His sacrifice satisfies the wrath of God, covers my sin, that we might be reconciled, and through faith alone, simply trusting in him, I am pardoned and righteous before God, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless before the sta- uh, before, to stand before the throne. That's the words of that old hymn. They reflect that biblical truth, and you can have that assurance as well. This is not a lack of faith on Mary and Martha's part. Excuse me, let me move on here. Another thing to think about, this is not a matter of the nonsense that God doesn't rule over the bad things of life. Well, God rules over the good things. He did not rule over any of the tough things, the bad things. You remember in James 4, James writes to businessmen who are going on a business trip. We're going to go to this country and we're going to, in this city and that everything, and we're going to, Um, set up Amazon, and we're going to sell, buy, and trade, make a pile of money, and then we're going to come home. And James says, listen, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that and the other. Uh, You know the southern expression for that, right? Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? I'm not sure it came directly from Paul, but it's the right mindset, okay? Isaiah 45, I form the light, I create darkness, I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things, even the most heinous of events. The crucifixion of the Lord of glory. Acts 2, Acts 4. It's part of that sovereign purpose of God. Apostle Paul, who does all these things (laughs) to serve the Lord, and yet here he is, got a thorn in the flesh for which he... Entreats the Lord three times. And remember the answer? My grace is sufficient for you. In the midst of it. And that sustaining grace that tells us whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's and I will seek His glory. That's what sustains us as believers through thick and thin. Calvin wrote, as Christ is the only mirror of the grace of God, we are taught by this delay on his part that we ought not to judge of the love of God from the condition which we see before our eyes. When we have prayed to him, he often delays his assistance, either that he may increase still more our ardor, our earnestness in prayer, or that he may exercise our patience. I know I'd all rather, Lord, don't, don't, I don't want to pray for patience. Lord, just give me a Bible verse. Don't give me a circumstance to learn that, right? But that's what the Lord does, doesn't he? At the same time, to accustom us to obedience. Let let believers then implore the assistance of God, but let them also learn to suspend their desires if he does not stretch out his hand for their assistance as soon as they may think that necessity requires. For whatever may be his delay, he never sleeps. He never forgets his people. Yet let us also be fully assured that he wishes all whom he loves to be saved. So we rest in Christ and his timetable. But then, note, Christ's wise and righteous ways can cause his disciples great perplexity in the building of their faith. Now there's a double time note in the text, afterward, after this. Two days have passed, and Lazarus is dead and buried. No one's going to be able to say that Lazarus just fainted. In verse 7, let us go to Judea, he says to the disciples. And the disciples are going, you know, I think it skipped his mind. The master's a little bit got too much on his mind here. We need to remind him. Um, Rabbi, lately, the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? What is going on? The disciples, you know, are we hearing you right? Are you really talking about going back to Judea? The, the Jews and their leadership are plotting to kill you. Don't you fear for your life? Is this really prudent? It was one thing to go while he was alive, but now that he's dead and now you're going to go? Christ says he's on a mission, on a timetable. That's what verses 9 and 10 are all about. He's not talking about we got to go during the day because there weren't streetlights back in those days. He's talking about God has a mission and a purpose for him. The time allotted for me to accomplish my earthly ministry is definitely fixed, just like the daytime is fixed. The precautionary measures aren't going to lengthen the time or the plots of the enemy shorten it. I will walk in the light of my Father's definite plan, and in that we have nothing to fear. I must... Work the works of Him who sent me while it is day, he says in John nine four. But how perplexing is this to the disciples? Look at the exchange in verses eleven through fourteen. Jesus heard the message that came from the two 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 sisters, and stayed two more days. Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I'm going to wake him up. They think, okay, well he's sick, he's taking a nap. Good, he's able to rest. He'll get better. Jesus spoke of his death. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then those next words, don't you know that these would be a blurb on Facebook everywhere in the world, I am glad. What? You received an announcement that Lazarus is dead and you know it. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. What we're called upon to do as Christians is to exercise faith and patience in following Jesus Christ. Following Christ, obedience to him, particularly in trials, is not always the path of least resistance. And I run into Christians all the time and everything, and aren't particularly thinking about obedience to God's will, but they're talking about, well, he opened a door. Well, the Lord may open a door, but it's not necessarily the path of least resistance. We are called to exercise faith and patience. What's that mean? means that you and I must believe what we've just been saying, that Christ knows the best path by which to lead his servants. That he's leading not just that general statement, but he's leading you by the right way, to the right end. That he is a wise and gracious Savior who wisely judges what is best for your growth and grace, for you to grow in Christ-likeness, even though we cannot see it. Now, we can't be just like Thomas. You know, Thomas, you remember, I won't believe unless I stick my hands in the, the nail scar and the side. Well, here's another Thomasism, if there ever was one. You know, he, Jesus, he's, he's determined to run this gauntlet of death, even though Lazarus is dead, in spite of all of our warnings. So let us all go that we may die with him. <laughs> well, he's looking only at the dangers, at the troubles, And there's at least loyalty, but it's a loyalty born of distrust. If we want to have our troubles blessed to us, we need to walk in faith in Christ. Samuel Rutherford, who it used to be, every, certainly every Presbyterian, but largely great swaths of Christians all over Europe and in in America, everybody used to have his book, Samuel Rutherford's Letters and read them. By the way, they're in print. If you don't have it, get it. Rutherford's writing a, lady, a letter to Lady Kenmuir. This is July 28, 1636. July 28, 1636. She, he says, Although you get strokes and sour looks from your Lord, yet believe his love more than your own feelings. Boy, what a pastor to say that to Believe his love more than your own feelings, for this world can take nothing from you that is truly yours, and death can do you no wrong. Your rock does not ebb and flow, but your sea. Christ doesn't change. Believe his word, his promises, more than your circumstances, which change all the time. That which Christ has said, he will abide by it. He will certainly do it. Well, let me uh, press this on. The... The uh, genuine believer may be sick and face these difficulties. They did the right thing, prayer. Christ knows uh, our situation here and the best time to deal with it. Well, let me tell you as well, we are to adorn our profession of the gospel under afflictions. Now, we've heard of Christ's love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. John 11, 17 through 37 records numerous instances of, of our Lord's compassion and love. And I just want to point out to you, Christ is not a fair-weather friend. Don't you get tired of some of that stuff in life? You know, those who stick with you, you know, <laughs> the going gets good, they stay with you, and the going gets bad, you never see them or hear from them. Here, death does not dissolve the friendship between Christ and the believer. And that statement about Lazarus sleeps, bears this out. Found he'd been dead four days. Now note just a couple of things here quickly. There is such a thing as being so crushed, so stunned by our afflictions, that we do not adorn our profession of faith in Jesus Christ the way we should And you see something of that in Mary's conduct. Perhaps she's more contemplative and more uh, reserved in character, and this becomes a snare for her, and it's hard for her to grapple with grief, and she's open more to melancholy. But by her not going out to meet Jesus, she misses that wonderful declaration, I am the resurrection of the life from Christ's own lips. But then look at Martha. Martha expresses both heartbroken grief and faith. She says something that they're saying over and over and over again. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm disappointed with you, and yet I believe... Don't you know, people had said that over and over and over again in that, that household as he got sicker and went down and down and down. If only Jesus would have been here. That's what the crowd says. In verse 37, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And yet when the messenger who brought the word heard these words of Jesus, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Don't you know that there was He said, What? And they're turning that over and over and over again in their minds in the light of that whole circumstance that was going on in that house. My friends, do you see it's the word and the promise of Christ that feeds our faith in the midst of these difficulties and trials that sustains us that we may look to Him. So Martha says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But it's sort of like a inferior to a superior and so the Lord helps Martha. He helps us to adorn our profession of the gospel in the midst of afflictions and he turns Martha's thoughts to the resurrection. Verse 23, your brother will rise again and Martha takes this to mean just like you would use the apostles creed, you know, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. She says, well, of course, I believe that. I'm a believer. I believe in the resurrection of the last day. But that didn't comfort me much about what's going on now. Jesus uses a different term about, that implies equality of himself and the Father. She has confidence in Christ's prayers, but rather a dim view that he is what he is as the Christ, the eternal Son of God. And I just remind you that there can be true faith, and yet in the midst of troubles and difficulties, it can be, uh, be weak and stumble, there can still be ignorance and degrees of that. She believes in a general resurrection, but she makes no mention of Christ's power to accomplish that. She doubts her brother will be raised now. How does Christ answer that? The stumblings of faith, the weak faith, in the midst of that circumstance. This is this towering proclamation by the Lord of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Look at the compassion of the Lord of life here in verses 33 and 35. He saw her weeping, the Jews weeping. it's, It's like from the pit of his stomach. He was troubled. The shortest verse in the Bible. Anytime you young people are in a thing where everybody's got to do a Bible verse and you can't remember which one to do, you can always do Jesus wept, the shortest one in the Bible. But isn't this amazing? The eternal Son of God. He's weeping. So in the face of this towering, majestic, I am. This is the statement of the eternal God that He is the resurrection and the life. Yet there remains unbelief. unbelief. Take away the stone. No, we can't do that. You don't know what you're saying. Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. Did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. They take away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Christ groans in the, over the unbelief and the ravages of sin. On Mary and Martha, the hardness, the unbelief of the Jews. Over the devastation of sin and death. This is like being out in a war zone. That's what it is in a cemetery, Right? You see the effects of sin and the fall and the curse all around you. Satan and the misery of sin in the world. People often say, I I can remember a year and a half, two years ago, when my, my dad died and people said, oh, doesn't he look great? I thought it was ghastly. I'll never forget it. The horrors of death. The last enemy. Death which tears apart Us as body and spirit, it leaves us bereaved of our closest, our most intimate. And this great, holy indignation wells up deep within the holy Lord of life if he sees this war-torn and broken landscape. I might pause to ask us, what moves us? What turns your stomach? What gives you heartache? Is it sin and rebellion against the holy God who made us, sustains us, and is good to us? Is it of the effects of sin around us, the devastation? My friends, one of the things that needs to be proclaimed in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today is that sin is not just sort of this thing, you know, I stick my hand in the mud and I kind of flick it off and I wash it off and that's all there is to it. But that we are dealing with the holy God and that God is not just smiling down upon us, you know, all the time. Psalm 5.5, 7.11, he's angry with the wicked every day. The effects that we see in our culture where there is the enshrining of more and more perversion and wickedness and rebellion. Are these not signs of God's judgment? Must we not cry out to Him for mercy? Let me tell you, what the church needs in our day as it sinks into unbelief and ignorance of the Word of God is the substance, the truth of the Word of God. We need the very power of God unto salvation. And here it is. The matchless sovereignty and compassion of Christ joined with irresistible almighty power. Dear believer, you must see this. You must hear this. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Literally, Lazarus, hither out. This is very short, choppy, succinct. And what happened? He who had died came out, banned hand and foot with grave clothes, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. This man had been dead four days, decomposing, past all human hope. What could accomplish this? Only the creative power of God could perform this astonishing miracle. It's the same God who said, Let there be light. And there was light, the same Lord who stood in the middle of a boat, and the storm is going on and says, Peace be still, and immediately there's a great calm. He now speaks. And the word of God carries with it that power to bring, past, bring to pass the power of the Almighty. Because here he is, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. He who is the resurrection and the life is not only man who has a fellow feeling with you or my infirmities. He knows our sorrows. He knows our groans. He knows the devastation of sin. He knows the separation of death. But he's also the divine Son of God, Messiah, Savior, Lord, who has almighty, irresistible power to overcome death itself. Let me leave you with three things real quick. Here, Church of Jesus Christ, is your confidence in the gospel, in evangelism, in the success, dare I say, of Christ reign now. Here's your confidence in the advance of the gospel kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, I hear Christians who are not much different from the expectations of the unbelievers who say, well, you know, if I'd have been able to stand outside the tomb of Lazarus, now, yeah, I would have loved to have been there. Well, if I was there in the boat and, and heard him say that and saw the winds and the waves, you know, still, if I was there when he broke the five loaves and the two fishes said I'm the bread of life, then, 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 I'd, you know, I'd believe. So I'm only persuaded to trust Christ because I haven't been there. All I've got is this record. But hasn't the church, I'm not talking about those people outside or on the East Coast or the West Coast, I'm talking about right here with us. Hasn't some of the church sunk to the, that very level despairing of ever seeing the rise of Christendom, the success of Christ church, the advance of the gospel kingdom? To both groups, I say not so. To those who say, well, if I had been there. Let me tell you, there were people who were there in John 11. When Christ raised Lazarus four days dead from the grave, they heard Christ's words. They spoke to Lazarus. They, touched, they were the ones that cut, you know, cut him loose and let him go, who shook his hand, who embraced him, who saw him, who spoke to him. But you know, some of those believed. But there are others who immediately went out and plotted the death of both Lazarus and Jesus. It takes the very Spirit of Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, to make a man, a woman, to be born again, a new creation brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Let me tell you, this Jesus Christ is worthy of your trust and embrace. To the despairing and negative church, Jesus Christ has been promised, read it in Psalm 2, the nations. I heard a brother praying for missions. Then promised the nations. Shall we not pray and entreat him on the basis of these promises? Do we have confidence that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, therefore go Shall we not trust Christ? Shall we not be bold to speak of his gospel, empowered by his might? You say, oh, yeah, but, you know, we believe in total depravity. Men are dead in trespasses and sins. You know, there was an Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezekiel who was led out to a valley, and God said, Ezekiel, what do you see? Bones, (laughs) dry bones, many bones. Very dry. And God says, can these bones live? I always love the answer of the prophet. Well, Lord, you know. (laughs) He says, prophesy. Preach to them. Speak my word. And the wind, the spirit blows, and they come to life. This is the confidence that you and I have for those perhaps of our own family, our friends, our neighbors... That this Christ pours out his spirit and by his word can open blind eyes, can overcome prejudices and hatred. Something happened to them in some church somewhere long ago. Can overcome their darkness and deadness and bring them to life so that they come most willingly to Christ. Now Jesus Christ is a resurrection of life raised Lazarus from the dead. But it was to a mortal life. Lazarus himself would eventually die and be buried. But you know, for all those who know of this spiritual resurrection, being brought to death, to life in Christ, to trust in Christ, death is but the entrance into glory. To be absent of the bodies, to be present with the Lord, to be present with the spirits of just men made perfect. And as glorious as that is, Paul says, "To, to die and be with Christ is far better he says, yep, but I tell you something even greater. The Christian hope is not exhausted even there. Because one day the trumpets shall sound and the voice of the archangel will be heard and Christ, the same one who rose from the dead, ascended bodily from, to heaven, will come again. And those in the, you know, those who are alive and remain be caught up to meet him with the air, but the dead in Christ shall rise first and we shall be changed In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, be given a resurrection body like Christ. Now, what is that? I don't know, but I know this. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And that last enemy will be seen and heard of no more. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. That enemy, fully, finally, forever overcome by Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, may we have our faith so strengthened that those who are dead spiritually may in life embrace you, O Jesus Christ. Those who are in difficulties and trials, set them free, we pray, that they may know you whom to know is life eternal. Give us, O Lord, this eternal hope that we may ever live for you. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 706, Jesus Lives and So Shall I. Let's stand together as we sing. Now may the God of peace that brought up again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.